Unlocking What Was Cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. Anyway, Mike, I'd have to imagine that if Pokemon had not existed in 1999, I'd probably be a scientist or maybe a doctor by now. We'd have gone so far, Neil, so far as yeah. species, but uh, we are live. We're live. Oh, Michael, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm sure that all the people that I would have saved as a scientist or a doctor, they'll be fine they'll, knowing fine. that Pokemon exists. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. They're fine. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. We've got a great episode. It's our Patreon elected topic. Going to talk about some Pokemon. It's going to be a ton of fun. But first, Mike, I got to talk to you about something very important that's uh, obviously in the news. I'm sure you've heard the uh, writer's strike is going on right now. We've got actors now on the picket line. It's all a mess right now with movies and TV. I don't really fully understand what's going on at all. But one thing that I do understand and this is something that i'm sure maybe five percent of our listeners will uh will be able to relate to but what i've what i've learned is that since there's no actors no writers or anything this is considered now the golden age or the golden era or the opportune time for reality tv shows Mm, mm. to come up because they don't require writers (laughs) and they don't require actors so these shows can still exist and i know that you enjoy watching reality tv every so often and i enjoy watching the bachelor uh with my fiance every monday night that's uh that's our trash show that we watch Mm -hmm. and a new show has uh, has emerged mike the the fall bachelor season just got announced again this is going to mean nothing to 90 percent of our (laughs) listeners but i need to talk about it the new season is called The Golden Bachelor, and they're finally doing it, Mike. They're bringing in a senior citizen to be The Bachelor. I thought it was going to be The Golden Mushroom or something kind of thing, you know, Ooh. where they just go really fast instead and just, <laughs> just kind of quickly go they through can- people. <laughs> it's one episode engagement. That's how it goes. <laughs> yeah. Will you marry me? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> speed dating, but instead it's speed engagement. You meet somebody and you're engaged in two minutes. No, but the, what that's going to be is there's going to be this guy. He looks very rich. I can't remember his name sure. now. He looks like he's definitely a multimillionaire. Um, doesn't look sad. Either I would have guessed he was maybe in his early 50s at most. Um, But what I want to know from you, Mike, you have to guess, and this is going to be a little time capsule. We'll find out in the fall if you're right. I want you to guess the age gap. I don't know what it is yet, but I want you to guess the age gap between the oldest woman on the show and the youngest woman on the show. It's got to be at least 30 years. It's got to be. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was thinking like 45 years, or no, hang on. He's 70. So let's assume the oldest. I'm going to assume that the oldest bachelorette or woman is 75. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to guess the youngest woman will be 30. Yeah, 45. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Uh, I'll say say 35. You say 45. And we'll see what happens. Okay, hang on. I'm gonna write this down here. Hold on, Mike. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna come back to this in October or whenever the hell the show comes out. <laughs> Neil Bracket 45. Well, remember we talked about this on the Pokemon episode, but uh, yeah, with all the striking that's going on, actors on the picket line now. They're all demanding rights, and and they don't want their their likeness to be used forever via AI. I guess I can understand that. Uh, reality TV shows will be the only thing that we can watch going forward. Perfect, Neil. Perfect, because uh, my my topic for this week was actually uh, another movie as well, and um, uh, and this was a movie that was uh, going to be created when the writers were not on strike and actors weren't on strike. It's called Skate Jam. Neil, have you heard of this? No. Is this a documentary? Is it? Is this another Little Italy, Mike? <laughs> Unfortunately, not. No. It's basically Space Jam Two, Skate Jam, and this was an oh. unmade movie that you might have heard of. I had heard rumblings of it, but friend of the show Brian brought it up to me the other day and uh, and was talking about it for some reason. He went on a Tony Hawk Wikipedia <laughs> rabbit reason. hole, uh, you know, as you do at, at eleven thirty mm-hmm. at night, uh, and. 
he was saying that uh, Warner Brothers wanted to make a uh, sequel to Space Jam uh, soon after it came out, but they wanted to wait until Looney Tunes Back in Action was done and uh, in theaters. And we then, all know how that went. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, we all know how that <laughs> went. Go back and listen to our Looney Tunes Back in Action uh, uh, episode that we did on the GameCube is cool. That was a ton of fun uh, talking about mm. Brendan Fraser and co. in that movie. But um, yeah, it... Uh, did not do well, and Skate Jam, which was going to star Tony Hawk, uh, was cancelled. And Warner Brothers also had a bunch of other uh, uh, Jam movies in the works. They also had Race Jam with Jeff Gordon. Uh, one was pitched that was Spy Jam with Jackie Chan. I'm not making this up. This is all real. You can look it up. Uh, Skate Jam, Space Jam 2. Uh, just unbelievable. Uh, very interesting indeed, and uh, I wish we got that. We almost had the Jam universe, yeah. the Jam cinematic, the JCU, <laughs> which sounds like the, something completely different. Um, but uh, that's awesome. I, now that you mentioned it, you just jogged my memory yeah. there. I do remember hearing of a Skate Jam idea. It might have been when Tony Hawk was on one of these random podcasts that the old guys from Jackass do now. Sure. Um, I think he talked about it there where he was in the he was in the talks. It was around the time I think he was doing Tony Hawk Pro Skater one or two, it was one of the earlier ones, and he yeah. was getting talked about for doing a skate jam, which, God, that would be so, so cool. Yeah. And they could still do it, too. Yep. Like, he still skates. He still looks the same. So <laughs> <laughs> It's still in the works. Once the strike is done, I, I can only assume that that is the first project that moves forward. But, uh, yeah. uh, Neil, let's, let's go back in time a little bit, because this is our last episode of the month. Let's go back in time to the world in July of 2003. What was, what was going on in there? Yeah, as is tradition on the Unlocking What Was Cool podcast, last episode of the month, we jo- we dive back 20 years and see what things were up, what, what we were up to 20 years ago. It's weird to think that we were alive and uh, cognizant through all these things, <laughs> but uh, we're going to talk about games, movies, music, and news. So starting with video games, bit of a slow month. It's so weird to go back in time just 20 years ago and think, man, yeah, there were there really only were about f- two video games <laughs> of note that came out, which nowadays it's like 10 come out a week. At least, yeah. Uh, but... On July 15th, we had Knights of the Old Republic come out. So mm-hmm. that game turns 20. And F-Zero GX on July 25th. So uh, both of those games, games celebrating. Yeah, two fa- a good month, really. I kind of like that pacing of getting two great games every month. Again, spread across two platforms, which is okay. But I think that's a great pace uh, in 2003. That's a great pace. And then uh, also had some yeah. great movies there. Legally Blonde 2 coming yeah. out. Sinbad, Legend of the Seven Stars. I saw that in theaters. <laughs> I remember seeing that and thinking, what is this movie? Never seen yeah. it since. It's been 20 years since I saw Sinbad. Uh, Terminator 3, I know that's one of your uh, your personal faves for sure. Oh, uh, yeah. My, my brother was obsessed with Terminator <laughs> 3. There was like a solid year when we got that movie on VHS and he watched it every day after school that movie was on terminator 3 not a good movie but uh, a movie that i hold near and dear pirates of the caribbean 1 which i also saw in theaters bad boys 2 eddie's million dollar cook-off uh big shout out to the the family channel here in canada of course do you remember that movie i do uh, i i i saw it i don't think i saw yeah. it july 2003 but i did see it yeah sure Yes, uh, my, my fiance and I, we watched that about a year ago. Okay. I think we watched it last summer for some reason because it's on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> and it's basically just about this kid. It's kind of like they were trying. They were so close. It was like It's like 75% of High School Musical mm. just without the musical. So it's this kid playing baseball who wants to be a chef. So it's basically High School Musical, a basketball player, a kid wants to be a singer, a dancer, or whatever, a theater student. Um, So they had that formula. They were just trying to get it right. 
And it's like, man, in a few short years, we would get High School Musical after this. And it stars uh, Eddie from That's So Raven, of course. Right. He's in there as well. Very good Family Channel movie. I love those movies. Great, a great um, uh, dive into the bin there too. I completely kind of forgot about that until I read <laughs> read that title out. Uh, Johnny English, which I also saw in theaters. Uh, so a busy, busy <gasps> month movie. for me in the theaters for sure. I remember seeing this with my with my parents because they love uh, Mr. Bean and Rowan Atkinson. Uh, mm-hmm. And then Spy Kids 3D, which we rented uh, a couple months later, and that is just an awful, awful movie. But uh, you know, if you like yeah. Spy Kids, it's fun to go back and watch how just hilarious, hilariously uh, ridiculous that movie is i love that trilogy spy kid johnny english is a, is a hilarious movie i love that movie oh, yeah. too but spy kids is a very special trilogy i feel like we'll probably cover it on the show at some point 3d was uh, an interesting move uh, with the red and the blue glasses of course just terrible but uh, yeah. a, a beloved movie nonetheless in july of 2003 in music we had thrice's artist in the ambulance come out which is a terrific mm. record uh, they just recently remade it love the remake as well uh, 311 released evolver uh, the freaky friday soundtrack came out in july so we covered <laughs> freaky friday a couple weeks ago so we finally got the soundtrack for that of course simple plan on there yellow cards ocean avenue came out that album is now 20 which is crazy and three days graces self-titled their debut record featuring i hate everything about you which is everyone's like angsty after you're done listening to lincoln park you you yeah everything up after you were finished listening to lincoln park's meteora you probably flipped over to three days graces self-titled (laughs) yeah same vein same vein for sure same vein indeed in the world news it was a very slow month compared to the most recent months that we've had but uh, on july 1st tesla the american electric car company is founded by uh, martin and mark the founders in san carlos california and on july 30th the rolling stones acdc rush the guest who and others headline a benefit concert in toronto to prove that the city is safe from sars yep. with four hundred and fifty thousand spectators uh it is the largest concert in canadian history I remember that extremely well. I remember watching that. We taped it. Uh, I have, I'm sure, the tape VHS of it uh, as nice. well. I have. Uh, I used to collect like the front page of papers like for special events, and I definitely I remember cutting that mm-hmm. one out because uh, it was in Downstreet Park, which is a big park north of Toronto. And yeah, it was just so many people there. I really wanted to go, uh, but my parents uh, wouldn't let me go. I remember that. I mean, we were only ten years old, but still, I that would have been such an amazing show to see. And and yeah, the yeah. Rolling Stones did it for free. Because uh, they have a lot of um, a lot of connections here in Toronto, actually. That that's an episode in, in itself. It's just the Rolling Stones in Toronto. Some crazy mm-hmm. stuff they've done here. Uh, I got to play on Mick Jagger's pool table, actually, at uh, my wow. old uh, work at the Masonic Temple. Neil, that was uh, that was his pool table that he left because he got it brought in from England and <laughs> didn't didn't want to leave. He definitely it. he definitely did cocaine on that pool table. Oh yeah, well I mean Keith Richards, <laughs> uh, you know, just I, yeah. I, that's why. T- the Rolling Stones were kind of famous because Keith Richards kept getting arrested for heroin and, and <laughs> <laughs> cocaine in Toronto airports. But that's nice. a, a whole story for itself. But yeah, that was a, a, a landmark concert in Canadian yep. history. If you're uh, from Toronto or honestly, probably just from Canada and you are old enough to remember, you definitely remember when that happened. Mm-hmm. I feel completely uh, ripped off after our pandemic, which was arguably a hundred yeah. times worse than SARS. And at the end of our pandemic, we get Ticketmaster 
basically bending everybody over and yeah. charging thousands of dollars for uh, Blink-182, Taylor Swift. I think Drake is now thrown in there, too. A couple other artists. That's what we get. We Where's our concert in 2023? Right? That sucks. We, but let's, yeah. let's, let's move on to some happier news, Neil. All right, Mike. Let's dive into the Pokemon episode. Let's talk about something, something joyous. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 22 of the Unlocking What Was Cool podcast, the show about all things retro that we love from our childhood. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. We are the number one podcast on the internet hosted by people named mike and neil you can support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash unlocking what was cool thank you to all our patrons who support our show last week we talked about pikmin 1 to celebrate the release of pikmin 4 if you haven't already go back and check it out this week we are diving once again into our patreon elected topic of the month thank you so much to all of our patreon entries uh we had uh the summer threequel blockbuster war of 2005 which included shrek the third pirates of the caribbean spider-man 3 and rush hour 3 we had po- yeah exactly that's a good one maybe we'll have to go back to that one we had blink 182's enema of the state and uh, as is always we had nhl Slapshot on Wii. uh we'll have to get to that one at some point to uh finally get that one out of the election and the winner of the patreon elected episode was from cube dude who submitted pokemon red and blue on the game boy with yeah 50 vote 50 percent of the votes so fantastic thank you so much to everybody who submitted topics and voted so mike we're here today to talk about a classic game boy game that most kids born in the 90s and maybe early 2000s treasure one of the most iconic games of all time, honestly. Mm-hmm, definitely. Pokemon Red and Blue was released on September 28th, 1998. Developed by Game Freak, published by Nintendo. It's on the Game Boy. Rates a 9 out of 10. Price today, Pokemon Red is the expensive one at around $70. Blue, around $60. Those are both the loose prices. Uh, if you want to get the boxed copy, you're probably going to have to take out a second mortgage on your home. <laughs> uh, it's an RPG. And uh, the sales for Red and blue is 31.05 million units wow. uh and probably counting because i think it was available on 3ds for a while there i don't think it counts there but uh, the 3ds store is now dead so you can't buy it there either <laughs> so i guess mike we're gonna have a guest joining us today but uh, i figured before we uh, bring our caller onto the show we could talk about our memories of these beautiful games from back in the day so when do you first remember playing pokemon red and blue well i mean this is one of the games that i definitely remember playing i had pokemon red i was pokemon red Guy, I got this as my second okay. game. I got it Christmas of either Christmas of 98 or Christmas of 99, but I'm pretty sure it was Christmas of 98, actually, because I think I got my Game Boy when I turned six. So uh, around that time, and uh, I got Space Invaders first for the Game Boy. Uh, that was my first game ever. And then uh, Pokemon Red right after. I remember playing it in the cafeteria uh, in uh, my elementary school. And I remember a lot of other kids having... Uh, their Game Boys playing it. I was one of the few kids who had a Game Boy Color. That was a big deal. Uh, I remember yep. that. That was even with my smaller screen, I got to see all the beautiful color on it because, of course, this was a Game Boy uh, game at first. And I, I, I was just hooked from the moment I saw it. And I, I'm pretty sure I had been like collecting the cards at this point as well. Uh, maybe like sure. months or weeks before. It all kind of happened, as you know, super fast, right? It was the anime, it was the mm-hmm. cards, it was the game. It was like boom, boom, boom. Uh, and then Pokemon was everywhere. It was it was something that truly came out of nowhere uh, for the mm-hmm. North American audience. And it was really the true first true handheld experience that 
anyone had had before. I mean, obviously, there's all these Mario and Zelda games and everything like that, Space Invaders, that that were on it. But a lot of them were either ports or they were games that really could be played anywhere. They weren't uh, different on a, uh, on a console or on a handheld console. Pokemon completely changed that script and, and really made it so it became such a social interaction, right? You didn't just play your Game Boy at home in the dark or with Pokemon, like you played it with friends, you played it with people around mm-hmm. you at all times. Uh, and that was such a, a huge change to everything. And I do really, really remember that. Like all my memories of playing Pokemon uh, Red and Blue and Yellow are are f- with friends. I honestly have very few memories of me playing it by myself. And of course, with link cables and everything too, and trading, and, and the music is so ingrained in my mind. Like, as soon as I hear it, I get like endorphins going through me. Just I feel, yeah. feel so good. It's it's probably the most nostalgic game I can think of, at least for me, uh, for the good times I had with it. And honestly, I played it for such a short period of time. I there's no way I played it for more than a year like uh, but I still have like the most fond memories I could ever have for a game yeah I mean well think about it when you're only six years old a year is like five years to someone in their 20s like you have no you don't have that many that you don't have that much of a concept of time at that point so yeah a year is a very long time that's you you probably got through two birthdays and two Christmases just getting Pokemon stuff that's a lot for a kid yeah uh, and your memories there, your experience with Pokemon is probably very similar to just about everybody listening to this podcast <laughs> who was born in the early 90s or in the 80s and grew up with the Game Boy. Uh, I was very similar to you. I, I specifically remember, I have an older brother. I'm sure I've talked about about him a bunch on the show. He's five years older than me. So uh, he's the reason why I know a lot about things from the 80s and the early 90s and things that I probably would have missed mm-hmm. if I didn't have an older brother. But I have a specific memory. I was five years old and I remember I was rummaging through his room for some reason i don't i was five so i was probably just being it as little brothers who are i was a middle child so as a little kid who likes to climb and go through stuff that's what i do uh but on his desk for some reason my 10 year old brother had a desk um he he had a stack of pokemon cards and that is i can specifically remember the exact moment that i discovered the first pokemon thing he had a little stack of pokemon cards and he might have had a Game Boy as well mm-hmm. at that point. I can't, he definitely had the Game Boy at that point. Uh, the original gray or green and gray, whatever, that ugly <laughs> four battery thing that I love to this day. Um, so he was playing his Pokemon games on that for a while. But I specifically remember uh, the stack of Pokemon cards. I flipped it over. And the first card I ever saw was Charmeleon. Mm-hmm. That I remember like looking at it and being stunned by it. I loved the, the blue card on the back, the red and white ball the design of this little fire dinosaur thing. Um, it had all these these words that I could barely read, these stats on it. It was just so inviting, warm, welcoming. It looked like something out of a out of like a fantasy novel, basically. And I started flipping through his cards and he had other ones there. There were these random energy cards and I remember an Onyx in there too <laughs> and a few others. Very basic, you know, cards from the very first run. And shortly after that, we discovered the cartoon was out. So I was definitely into the cards and the cartoon before getting my Game Boy Color like you. I got I got my Game Boy Color and Pokemon Yellow for my sixth birthday in October of 1999. Um, so that was my first experience playing a Pokemon game. I played them definitely out of order. I played Yellow and then I think I got Red and Blue the next year. And I have no, I have no idea why I got Red and Blue. I just remember my mom coming home one day from the store and she had two copies of blue, one for my brother and one for me. And that's how she kept buying Pokemon games. Was we had we had six copies of Pokemon at one point. We had two yellow, two red, and two blue. Um, <laughs> my brother fell off after the first gen, and I I got gold, silver, and uh, crystal after that. 
Uh, and then I didn't play anymore after the Game Boy Color generation. But um, playing Pokemon Red and Blue was basically the same as you. I think I played it basically nonstop from 1999 until end of 2001, I would say. It was probably about how much time I spent with Pokemon, the first generation of cartoons and the first run, the first generation of uh, cards, cartoon and video games was was pretty much it. So that's yeah. about two years. But same as you, like I think I played mostly with friends. The link cable was just an incredible experience being able to play your handheld with a friend. You could see their Pokemon on your screen and your Pokemon on their screen. You could trade and you could see the Pokemon ball going from one Game Boy to the other on your screen. That was just such an incredible, innovative experience for for something in the late 90s on a piece of hardware that was 10 years old at this point too is the other thing I told, told you there. My brother had the original Game Boy, which he must have got... He got it in the early 90s. I think my mom said they bought it when he had pneumonia. <laughs> um, so he was playing Tetris on that. So for 10 years, what people played on Game Boy was pretty basic games. Like you said, Space yep. Invaders, maybe Mario, some pretty decent Zelda games on there. But Pokemon came out in, in the in the North Americas it, nine years later. And then that basically extended the Game Boy's life, lifespan for another two years, two or three years until the Game Boy Advance came out. And without Pokemon, the Game Boy Advance probably would have come out way earlier. So the power of this franchise is just unbelievable. And you're right. One day it wasn't here, and then the next day it was everywhere. Yep. Uh, my friends had the cards, the games. We watched the show every day after school together. We drew Pokemon in school. Every kid's birthday party was Pokemon-themed. Everybody had Pokemon-themed clothing. Everything was Pokemon. And the franchise is still massive to this day. We talk a lot about uh, franchises, highest grossing media franchises of all time. Pokemon is the highest selling, number one, baby, the highest selling, highest grossing media franchise of all time to date. 76.4 billion USD. And that's ahead of Mickey Mouse, not by a small amount. It's ahead by $24 billion, which is insane. Wild to think about. Insane. Most of that is merchandise and video games. Uh, about 69.2 billion there's another 6 billion there in uh in uh, mobile games 1.1 billion in the box office which it's funny because about 40 percent of that is detective pikachu (laughs) uh and then uh, it's like what else did they have they had pokemon i think the first two movies were in theaters for a short time but they only made a couple like maybe 30 40 million a piece and then my favorite fraction of the pie is 3 billion in jet aircraft sales and that caught my eye and it refers to a very specific uh, Japanese airline, All Nippon Airways. Uh, in a promotional Pokemon event, the exterior of the aircraft were painted with pictures of various Pokemon, and interiors were decorated with Pokemon themed. And that has grossed the company three billion dollars of their uh, total seventy-six billion worldwide. Okay, that's actually sick, though, because I would love, <laughs> I, I would love to ride a Pokemon <laughs> plane and have like, oh yeah, Articuno, you know, painted on the side. That oh, would yeah. be so sweet. <laughs> Imagine what the other plane would think like when they see that. They're like, like reporting in Articuno <laughs> is 40,000 feet above the ground. What's going again. on up here? <laughs> I would love a private jet painted like, uh, I guess Articuno would probably be the oh, one just, to go I, That's with. the I, first or, thing that came to mind. Or Pidgey. Yeah, I think it was like a bunch of Pokemon. It kind of looked like a yeah. giant sleeve tattoo wrapped around an airplane. But Pokemon, a very old franchise, dates all the way back to the 90s. So it has a very rich, very deep history in Japan. It took several years to develop the first set of games. It took a few more years after that to localize the game so that it was palatable for us North American gamers out here. So definitely a lot of rich history here in the Pokemon lore. But before we dive into the game itself, I want to talk about Game Freak, mm-hmm. who I mentioned at the top there are the developers of Pokemon. They were founded in April 
1989, and they first started creating video games in the early 80s. Uh, they've developed 39 games to date, the first game being Mendel Palace, and the most oh, recent yes. game being Pokemon Scarlet. Who could forget <laughs> Mendel Palace? Most recent game being Pokemon Scarlet and Pokemon Violet. Uh, I just want to talk about Game Freak real quick, because mm. when you see that Game Freak logo in uh, in the Pokemon oh. game, it's an iconic splash. My screen. hair goes up on end. Oh, my God. Yeah, <laughs> you just you know what's coming. You know what's coming next. Yeah, that like kind of like the sparkle, the glitter that goes over it. And then it goes like dun, 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 Yeah, it's 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 basically like hearing the Fox uh, drum roll before the Star Wars. Uh, uh, yeah crawl goes ahead it's basically the same thing for me um but game freak they obviously uh they thrive in their role-playing games they've made uh dozens and dozens of mainline pokemon games to date um what's interesting about pokemon a lot of people don't know this is that pokemon is a shared ownership franchise which is very uncommon Mm -hmm. it's owned split by game freak nintendo and creatures those are the three companies it's not owned by any specific company in particular uh, Game Freak develops the games, Nintendo publishes the games, and then Creatures produces the Pokemon cards, as well as they create some of the spin-off video games, uh, which Game Freak sometimes assists with those. And for me, we've talked about this a lot, for me, the spin-offs, I enjoy sometimes more than the mainline games. I mean, yeah, I like like Pokemon Stadium, for example, Pokemon XD that we talked about on the GameCube uh, was cool podcast. I'm, uh, Pokemon mm-hmm. spin-offs and... Uh, in general, just have really been able to kind of push the boundaries of the franchise, considering that the mainline franchise has basically stayed the same relative formula since Red and Blue. And that's something that I kind of love about Red and Blue is because that's kind of, that's the original. That's where it all started. It it did technically start with, um, with pocket monsters, red and green, uh, in, uh, in 95 in Japan, uh, for sure. But, uh, I, they, I, I never know why they actually changed it to red and blue. Why, why green was, was out, you know? Yeah, green was the original game. Uh, when Pokemon first came out in 95, it was green. And then uh, I believe blue came out in 96 in Japan, if I'm correct. And blue was just basically like the quality of life improvements. Right. Um, certain things were changed. There were like sp- sprites were, were adjusted. Certain wording of things was adjusted. Uh, it was just the better version. So when we're playing red and blue in North America, we're basically playing the Japanese version of blue. Um, there was no point in porting green directly. It would be cool if maybe someday they made green playable just to see what it would be like. Um, well, they have but yeah, that was fire basic. red and leaf green. Isn't that what it is? I don't know. Is that green? I never played those ones actually, <laughs> so I don't know. I'm I, I, yeah. <laughs> clearly we're not experts I'm, on this topic, and we're doing a podcast about it. That's okay. <laughs> exactly. I'm definitely one of the uh, the Gen Oneers yeah. who just I stopped playing Pokemon games after uh, after Game Boy and N64. Did go back and play some of the 3DS and the uh, Game Boy Advance games, but as of 2023, Mike, there are 22 sets of mainline Pokemon games that include some of the remakes and remasters and whatnot, like Heart Gold and Soul Silver, and the most recent Diamond and Platinum remakes on Switch. There's about 100 spinoff games out there on various devices, including Pokemon Go, which was massive in 2016. And Pokemon has appeared in one way or another on pretty much every single Nintendo console, home, and handheld ever since the Game Boy. Um, the best-selling duology of Pokemon games to date is still Red and Blue, and if we throw in Yellow, it's uh, it's sold 45 million units, actually. So Yellow sold very well in its own right, and the games have gone through dips and uh, peaks over the years, specifically. Usually they sell really good at the beginning of a console's life cycle, and then the second one doesn't sell as well. That's what I noticed. 
um, mm. in the trends. But uh, if you don't know, for whatever reason, you've been living under a rock for the last, uh, geez, 30 years. Uh, the, the whole point of Pokemon Red and Blue is that you're this uh, this kid. You can name them. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about that, I'm sure, in a little bit. But your whole job of the game is to uh, traverse this massive world. Your job is to collect Pokemon battle other trainers you can battle your friends like you like we said you collect gym badges you stop an underground crime organization you earn money and the whole point is to got to catch them all got to catch all 150 pokemon in the world but mike you start off with the biggest choice i think we were tasked with making at the age of uh, six years old and you had to pick your starter pokemon and this is the question i wanted to ask you is who is your starter who did you pick when you were given the choice of bulbasaur charmander and squirtle from from Professor Oak. Char. Char. Yeah, of course. Charmander. Yeah, I mean, uh, of course. He was on the box. I had the red. I had Pokemon Red. So That's true. I, I, I mean, Charizard was on the box, but I, I my six-year-old mind figured out that this thing is going to evolve into the thing on the box. So uh, that's what I picked. <laughs> what about you, Neil? <laughs> Good one. I uh, See, the thing is, I, I played Pokemon Yellow mm-hmm. first, and in that one, famously, you don't get a choice. You're given Pikachu, and he doesn't listen to you. <laughs> Um, which, you know, who wouldn't love that? Um, but it was more, Pokemon Yellow was definitely more, um, faithful to the show. So it was a really cool Mm. experience, but no, Charmander always went with Charmander. I've definitely played the game several times through. So I've, I have gone back and played it starting with Bulbasaur, which is difficult. Uh, playing with Squirtle is, is not bad, uh, but Charmander was always my choice. I loved having Charizard in my team, uh, had to level him up as soon as possible. Charizard is just so overpowered in this game. He's a must have. So, uh, Charmander was always my pick. And this does feel like a pretty good question, Mike, to ask our first caller of the day. And I think I see our phone lines are live. So it looks like our caller is joining us now. So why don't you introduce them to this fantastic show? All right, Neil, joining us today, our first and only guest to the show is friend of the show, Luigi, from Luigi's Apartment. Uh, he talks about video games on the internet, uh, like his great Zelda podcast, Chat of the Wild, as well as the speedrunning podcast, Need for Speedrunning, and the Remember 64 podcast sometimes that uh, Neil and I have uh, also been on. So it's great to have you on, Luigi. And our first question to you would be, who is your starter Pokemon in Gen 1? Uh, I am a solid, lifelong member of the Squirtle Squad. Yes. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I I got the sunglasses and everything. One of the most ruthless gangs to (laughs) ever have... (laughs) Ever terrorized. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) And now, did you pick Squirtle because you were a Pokemon Blue fan back in the day? You needed needed to get to the Blastoise, which you saw on the front of the box? (laughs) Um, It may have had something to do with that. Uh, I... I just, for some reason, I was feeling water. I liked the turtle. Um, mm. I wasn't into fire or plants. Who wants to be plants? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I Maybe, I think, I don't know if I ever had a favorite Captain Planet person, but uh, I always thought water was cool. And so, yeah, wa- water was like my elemental in Pokemon. Totally good choice. Water's great, yeah, definitely. Plants, plants die, and you know that even as a six-year-old, uh, that plants, <laughs> oh yeah, that plants die. So you, you know you don't want to pick a, a plant as a as a creature to go around with. What could be cool about plants? I feel like there's a lot of hate towards Bulbasaur, though. I mean, like he's an all right, you know, he was pretty cool in the anime. He, I, I liked him. I just Bulbasaur's didn't. Cool. He was just a little bit weak, you know, and like you, you got to fight against Brock as the first gym. Your first gym is against literally rocks. I mean, I guess he would be pretty good against the second gym, but it's a long slog to that second gym. If you got Bulbasaur going through that cave, you definitely need a nice, a nice good salamander there with Charmander or a strong turtle from the Squirtle Squad. 
Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. good choice from. Uh, it's, unfortunately, it seems like the popular choice over the years seems to be Charmander, Squirtle, then Bulbasaur as the starters. Poor Bulbasaur mm. never really uh, got his shine. I, I remember finally getting my first Bulbasaur and being like, "Oh, this dude's awesome!" Like I finally yeah, traded yeah. for it. And so, what was your kind of first experience then with Pokemon? In general, like, did you, were you like cards, anime, game? Did you just uh, get the game somehow and started playing it immediately and got addicted? Like, what, what was, what was the first, uh, first experience with Pokemon? Uh, this snuck up on me. Uh, I did not know about it or know it was coming. I wasn't really reading video game magazines at the time. I was just playing a lot of video games and of course had my Game Boy and, you know, was playing, I don't know what, like Donkey Kong 94 or nice Wario Blast, uh, probably around <laughs> that time, which is a Wario versus Bomberman, which is really fun, um, yeah. really fun game. I think it's his, the first appearance of his motorcycle. But so, mm. yeah, just like friends were, would just like, would have it. Like all of a sudden one friend's playing it and it's, it's Pokemon. And I'm like, oh. What is it? And like, it just completely went over my head. Had no idea what they were talking about because I'd never played an RPG before and I didn't understand them. <laughs> right. Th- this was a big ki- everyone's first RPG. This was kind of it. If you didn't grow up yeah. playing maybe Final Fantasy. Not seeing it coming. Mike and I actually talked a lot about that in the intro, uh, Pokemon was not here one day and then it was everywhere the next. And like you said, mm-hmm. if you weren't reading magazines, it wasn't exactly your fault. The budget that Nintendo put towards marketing for Pokemon Red and Blue was only $13 million, which by today's money doesn't sound like a lot. In the 90s, it also wasn't really a lot. Adjusted for inflation, yeah. that's only about $24 million in 2023. And just for comparison, Cybertunk, Cyberfunk, Jeez, Cyberpunk 2077's <laughs> marketing budget was 142 million dollars. So, yeah. what is that like six like a, or seven like times Hollywood movie. more? Yeah. Well, just the Hollywood movie budget, uh, marketing budget, like mm-hmm. uh, 150 million yeah. is probably what like a big movie would would use in their marketing budget. Yeah, I think Nintendo was relying heavily on the cartoon and the cards as being like a partnership marketing strategy being this total cross marketing plan to just blitz every market that kids are in and it worked obviously it paid off for them to with that strategy (laughs) (laughs) it sounds like a um mr yamauchi thing where he'd be like look uh this is like crack uh look at it in japan look at japan right now like you do not need much money to make this work so i'm giving you 13 mil To his, you know, son-in-law. Like, I'm giving you 13 million. You, you don't even need that much. Uh, it, it sounds like the very mindset kind of mindset he would have. But yeah, like just like one day, one friend would have it, and then like more friends slowly got it. And I was just like, what? Okay, so what is this? Because I, I think even years afterward, it took me years to realize that it was an RPG. That like, oh, yeah. that's what I've been doing. That's what that Final <laughs> Fantasy game was that I started over and over again. <laughs> at my aunt's house and just had no idea what I was doing. So yeah, like just, I slowly learned through osmosis and playing around other people. And, and then the cartoon came, like I found that, but yeah. I mean, the social aspect of it cannot be understated. Right. And it's such a Mm -hmm. a different way to play handheld games 
uh, that completely changed the industry forever. Honestly, uh, like like mm-hmm. Pokemon Red and Blue can't be understated in that way. It's just such a uh, a, a landmark there's like before pokemon and after pokemon honestly and like not even just not even just games but like popular culture too it just like it just came out of nowhere completely took over and then and had the staying power that no other kind of fad if you want to call it has ever been able to have in the 21st century uh and it's such a, a cool thing to see that it's still going strong you know pokemon go bringing a whole bunch of new uh not necessarily new but uh but players who who had played Pokemon Red and Blue and then stopped immediately after that. Because that was definitely a thing, mm-hmm. too, is, is, is Gen 1 purists. Uh, and, like, honestly, like me. for me... Yeah, like, like Neil. <laughs> and I mean, like, I, I don't know. I know my some of my Gen 2, and then after that, it kind of gets a little weedy. But uh, I know yeah. all 151, for sure. And I think most people around our age could probably name you 90% of the 150 Pokemon. And that's, like... Just an insane ubiquity. Or just sing the poke around. Yeah, well, yeah. exactly. As, <laughs> as we did on this podcast, famously, Neil. Uh, we did a great job, yep. I think. <laughs> Charizard, Matcham, Pitzer, Coughing, Dotrio, Golbat, Staryu, Magikarp, Ninetales, Ekans, Omnistar, Scyther, Tentacool, Dragonite, Magmar! Oh, catch your breath, man. Shake out those lips. It's downhill from here, Mike. Only 24 more to go. Now it gets tricky, so listen real good. Sandslash, Hitmonlee, Psyduck, Arcanine, Eevee, Executor, Kabutop, Zapdos, Stratini, Growlite, Mr. Mime, Cubone, Graveler, Voltorb, Gloom. We're almost home. But you gotta catch them all. Yeah. You gotta catch them all. Gotta catch them all. Yeah. Gotta catch them all. Oh, Pokemon! Yeah. Charmeleon! Mewtwo, Tentacruel, Aerodactyl, Armanite, Slowpoke, Pidgeot, Arbok, that's, that's all, folks! Catch em, catch em, gotta, gotta catch them all. all. Gotta catch them all, Pokemon. But it's such an amazing event, and so you did play socially then with friends, and and, and were you able to, to acquire a link cable, or did you borrow a link cable and did some trading that way, too? I had a link cable at this point. I also had a a big fat Game Boy, I think, still. I eventually got a, a pocket, a green Game Boy pocket. But nice. um so yeah, that just went everywhere with me. Like always have it on you. I I think part of the ubiquity of Pokemon is that parents, you know, you know, kids will have a Game Boy and then, you know, they grow up, they'll give their kids, you know, Game Boys or Nintendo handheld systems or whatever and and pokemon is like the perfect thing to play in like middle school um Mm -hmm. when everyone's walking around with a a game boy or a ds or whatever and a way to play each other because it's when it boils down to is just you know bug collecting and beetle fighting in japan and yeah like give that to kids in digital form and you'll teach them complex math without knowing it. <laughs> and, and, and that fire burns grass and that water puts right, out fire yeah. and that somehow bug takes down psychics. So, I mean, you know, the, all the, the necessities of life. It, it is funny. Like when you mentioned parents there too, like my, my parents were weirdly supportive about Pokemon. And I don't know if it yeah. was like, that was like just like oh this is a kid friendly thing oh he's not playing GTA or like Call of Duty he's playing <laughs> like this like colorful game with you know the character design is is really what sold this game at the end of the day the character oh, yeah. design for all 150 of these characters and also their individual personalities is what made this game so special and so easy to get into 
it, it made it easy because like there were there were like rules to the world like mm-hmm. these are creatures these are animals there is a reason behind why like physically they they do this thing like uh like my parents yeah. I was in a very religious uh Christian household and so they were very skeptical of of magic and things mm-hmm. like that um and so it would be like no Pikachu's lightning comes from his little sacks on his face like that's like a little <laughs> pouch that he uses or that's like fine. certain characters there's a reason like there's a there's a natural reason for why these characters do it. like it's not magic like just settle down mm-hmm. it's not like witchcraft it's science it's, mom and stop. dad <laughs> it's fine we can oh, go see worse. the pokemon movie you won't go to hell I was so I'm so interested that you brought that up. I didn't know that you had that experience as a kid growing up. Uh, my, my I grew up in a house that was very like Mike said. My parents were pretty supportive of my Pokemon obsession, my brother and my Pokemon obsession. My sister didn't get quite as much into it, but for my parents, it was something that I was doing with my friends as a bonding thing. We would do our link mm. cables. We would play Pokemon Stadium on the N64. We would be drawing Pokemon. We'd be, you know, Pokemon cartoons. We'd be watching it together. So it was just something that we were oh, doing yeah. for fun. It was a game and it was something, it was a social aspect. It was very much a social thing that my parents supported. And it's really interesting to think back at how much Pokemon changed the way First of all, how kids interacted with each other with these th- these new animals and, and whatever else that we were basically learning an entire world that didn't really exist, but also how adults had, had to adapt to it as well. Like all of a sudden mm-hmm. you mentioned Pokemon being the perfect thing in middle school with everyone having their Game Boys and whatnot and playing at lunch. Mike and I grew up in we were in elementary school at the time, and I remember my school putting down the boot and banning Game Boys and yep. the cards from the schoolyard. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like they had to put in rules like no Pokemon in the school. Like you can wear your shirts and your shoes and, and whatever. You can draw them, but you can't bring these things to school because kids were stealing them. Kids were ripping them in half. Like they're, yeah, the cards were a huge problem. And even thinking back to my parents, like how much money they must have spent on double A batteries because of their stupid sons being playing Pokemon (laughs) for eight hours a day to the point where that my parents got into buying rechargeable batteries. That was like a that was like a part of our daily chores Ooh. was making sure that there were batteries in the charger in the wall before we went for school so that when we got home there would be enough charged batteries so that we wouldn't have to fight over the only two ones that were still alive. <laughs> like it's so crazy how much the this this franchise changed so many people's lives and brought joy to a lot of people and to this day it's still it, it just puts like a little smile on my face. Like when I see a kid yeah walking in a mall wearing a Pikachu t-shirt looking at the cards that he got in store they look nothing like the cards that I had as a kid but I definitely did not think in 1998-99 when I was getting these games and these cards I did not think that in 25 years kids would be doing the same thing no there was no way like no one saw that coming the staying power of this franchise absolutely yeah the staying power of this franchise cannot be understated the various iterations that they've put out over the years the uh the card game is still as big as ever obviously pokemon go was massive in 2016 but going back to red and blue i did want to ask you luigi did you pick up all the variations did you buy pokemon red blue yellow and then continue on with the franchise I eventually had all three, and I didn't complete them. I didn't complete red. I had blue, so I didn't complete red and yellow, but I like definitely used them as ways to get Pokemon over onto my Game Boy into my blue cart because mm-hmm. I did 151 that. Um, I, I had to. 
Because like the the one of the things is like I went to a school it was K through twelve so the elementary school kids Whoa. definitely got locked down on some of the stuff <laughs> and we watched it happen because um, yeah it it was a little too much but like we were allowed to play it. Um, it didn't get in too much trouble. I had one teacher who was like kind of a nerd too, who we thought we were going to get in trouble and he walked over and saw what we were doing and was like, no, no, like I'm interested. I want to know about this. Like keep playing. <laughs> he was like, so use, he use was... Lear. Trust me. <laughs> well, no, he didn't know about it. He wasn't like, oh. like clued into Pokemon. Like now you, you would have a teacher like that. Like, oh yeah, I know exactly like the whole stat chart. But like at that point, he was just probably like a PC nerd and thought it was cool. Like when he figured out we were battling each other and was like, oh, okay, like, tell me about it. Um, So, yeah, like we were mostly left alone. But uh, like this led to because I was at like a like a Christian school, the kids lived all over the city. It wasn't like local Mm -hmm. to our neighborhood or anything. And so that led to me, like, friends that I had in school, I I would go over to their house, like, people whose house I'd never been to, but had been friends with for, like, a few years, uh, because I just, we wanted to, like, keep battling. Like, uh, we found a way to get, like, mom, pick me up here. Is it cool if I go to Billy's house? Like, uh, have you ever been to Billy's house? No, but, like, we are, like, battling. Like, it is on, okay? Uh, Which was kind of cool. So, like... (laughs) <laughs> this is serious wow and then you know, put the pokemon cartoon on and like just fought with our yep. squads of level 100 pokemon of like all <laughs> afternoon man that's i mean that's amazing there's just so many so many memories of of stuff like that with uh with pokemon just because like we've already said it's such a social game in every aspect mm-hmm. i love the that you had the anime on too i think uh i def i definitely mm-hmm. did that with my friends as well is that we would put the like we would time it so that the anime came on like i don't know like four o'clock when we got home or something and right when you got home from school yeah, yeah. oh, oh the, those those tv that was not, networks yeah. they knew it's <laughs> not knew. an accident <laughs> <laughs> they knew the prime market for uh for kids you had to watch you, you could learn something <laughs> but the um uh there are of course a bunch of exclusive pokemon for each uh color there's ekans arbok Mankey, and primape and electabuzz for red there's sandshrew slanslash meowth persian and pinster for blue and then vulpix ninetales bellsprout weeping bell and victory bell uh for yellow and i remember uh, always trying to get uh, uh meowth and persian because uh, i I had read and I could not get mm-hmm. those. Uh, uh, I I don't remember getting Sandshrew. Gotta have Meowth. I know exactly. Well, because I mean, of course, because Meowth I loved from the anime, uh, and Persian was Giovanni's cat, and I I always yeah. uh, thought Persian was pretty sweet. Uh, Persian seemed like like the badass. I'm like I don't want to fuck with Persian, so you know I want to <laughs> yeah, no, have away him on my team. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, my game was lousy with them. They're just throwing money at me constantly, hitting me with payday all the time. <laughs> payday. Like, yeah. Get out of here, Meowth. <laughs> what a what an interesting concept though that Game Freak came up with. Uh, that surprisingly not a lot of other publishers or developers have come up have copied. It's it feels like something that you can really only do once with Pokemon, where they they got you. They they made parents, they made kids save up and beg for either you beg for multiple copies of basically the same game minus mm-hmm. five Pokemon. Or you get out there and you go and meet people, God forbid, and you ask them to trade with you so that you can get those missing five Pokemon or whatever. Even the yeah. yellow, uh, Pokemon Yellow had some exclusives as well. 
Vulpix, Ninetales, like Mike said there. There were some there were some exclusives there too in the yellow version. So uh what an what an interesting concept that and most parents didn't mind. Like my parents had no problem buying uh, all three. I'm sure they did have problems with it. They didn't show it to <laughs> yeah. us, but I'm sure they were at Toys R Us putting down 40 or 50 bucks. Like, good God, what the hell am I doing over and over again? What's even the difference between these games? No, you don't understand. <laughs> they did not. They definitely oh, did not. What's funny um, with, too, with were... those, like, having these three colors and these three seemingly different games on the surface, that created a lot of this, what I call Pokemon mythology that uh, mm. that came out of this, right? And I'm sure you guys had this, too, in school because... This is before the internet, really. This is before Bulbapedia, before being able to look anything up in terms of these Pokemon yeah. stats, in terms of what to do in the game. A lot of myths came up in terms of like what was different about the games. Like when I was a kid, I was I was under the impression that Blue was just like such a completely different game that had all these different things that I wasn't able to do because I didn't have it, right? And so when you're a kid, you're like, well, it must be completely different. Like Johnny said that he can surf around the entire... <laughs> Uh, area of uh, of the the map just because uh, it's blue, so because water, you know. Yeah, <laughs> Giovanni is the first boss. You actually fight him in Viridian the first time you go there. It's crazy. Yeah. And yeah. the Mew, no. the Mew rumor as well was the big one. Yeah, I mean, like some stuff ended up being true with like like glitching, missing. Now, like, did you know you can like do this? And like, that's fake. Whatever. No, it's real. <laughs> Yeah, the most famous rumor about Pokemon was definitely, we've talked about this before in a past episode, but the Mew rumor, how to get Mew. That was definitely mm-hmm. the most famous one on the schoolyard. Everyone's saying, no, no, you can get Mew. It's uh, it's in Vermilion City. There's a part of the map. It's it's visible, but it's basically unreachable. If you can get to this one area of the map, you'll you'll glitch the game. There's this pickup truck, and then you'll, you'll fight the glitch. <laughs> and then if you beat it, uh, you have Mew. Up. And... That was the ultimate rumor from back in the day that I think Mike was probably building up to there with the yeah, pre-internet yeah. <laughs> not being able to look up things in a minute with your smartphone. Uh, that rumor ended up being totally false. The truck didn't really do anything, uh, but there was a way to eventually get Mew in the game. You'd, it was it was basically yeah. through special Nintendo events. They would put they would give you a basically a patch for your Game Boy game that would put Mew in your mm-hmm. game and allow you to use it use him or whatever uh, in the game. And that was kind of, they still do that to this day. I remember when I worked at uh, EB Games for one Christmas when, it was when Sun and Moon came out, I think. And uh, we had, like for the for the day the game came out, uh, we had some kind of a card that would give you a special shiny Pokemon or something like that. I don't remember. I didn't okay. play Sun and Moon. Um, but no. that basically is what Mew was. It was That was the mm-hmm. first time they'd ever done something like that. And completely revolutionary. Just a very neat concept. And I remember going to Toys R Us because they had, in the red and blue days, we went to Toys R Us and they had like basically a lottery system going where when you made a purchase, you'd get one of these little scratch cards. Oh, yeah. And if you, if you unscratched Mew, they would give you the code to get <laughs> Mew. And then that, or they would put it on your cartridge really? or whatever. And yeah, this was like a whole thing and we didn't get it. So eventually somehow my brother got... My brother did get Mew eventually. I think someone just pitied him and traded them their Mew. Uh, and then, so we had it. But yeah, it was uh, amazing some of the hoops that people jumped through back in the day for various things with these games. That probably happened with like maybe one or two kids also, you know, in the school may have gotten a Mew that way. And then there's the <clears throat> Game Shark. Uh, but <laughs> yes, the, true. The, the way that most people got a Mew uh, that that same Mew probably poli- like proliferated around my school thanks to the cloning 
where right. during the trade, whoever is giving the Pokemon that like that is the good Pokemon, uh, they like just turn their system off first at a certain point. And then the other person waits like five seconds and turns their system off. And voila, Pokemon is cloned. Oh, and really? So lots and lots and lots of trades happened that way. That's how I got my Mew. Interesting. I don't remember ever doing anything like that. I don't think, I think like when we traded Pokemon, like there was such a lack of trust between me and my brother or me and my friends <laughs> at the time that like you would like be holding the cable in their Game Boy the entire time so that they wouldn't pull it out prematurely or something so that they get your Pokemon and then you don't get theirs or something bad happened or like while you're battling, yeah. like you're about to win and then they just, nope, disconnect. And then you don't get to beat them or something. It, it was so much fun how they how they did stuff like that back in the day with such primitive hardware too. Like these days, Crazy. when Pokemon Red and Blue came out on 3DS, that uh, you were able to just connect just naturally through the through the 3DS's um, mm-hmm. Wi-Fi network or whatever it was. You had to you had to do so many different things, and someone had to you had to make sure like make sure to bring your your link cable to my party so that you could play Pokemon <laughs> together at someone's birthday party or whatever. But yeah, I, I forget about all of these like random politics and like ethics that we came up with as kids on the schoolyard at very young ages too, might I add. <laughs> Sounds like oh, Mario yeah. Party with my friends. There's, basically, there's an entire basically. political system around it. Yeah, but between Red and Blue, there really is no huge difference. You are still playing the same story. You do still have the same characters, the same music, just the slight differences in Pokemon in there. And you do go through the same cities and fight the same gym leaders. And I wanted to ask you guys, uh, do you have a favorite gym leader that you fight? You, of course, fight Brock, who's the rock uh, boss. You fight Misty, who's water. Lieutenant Surge, who's electric. Erica, grass type. Koga, poison. Sabrina, psychic. Blaine, fire. And then finally, Giovanni, who's more of a ground uh, gym boss. Uh, uh, Luigi, I'll kick it over to you first. Uh, Which boss in this, or gym leader in uh, Pokemon Red and Blue was your favorite? Uh, I would say Misty, because water Pokemon. Also, I like Misty. And then... The other one would be, um, crap, Flame Guy. We just said his name. Blaine? Blaine. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because, uh, I don't know, I thought he looked cool, but also he's a pushover because I just surf him to death. So, yeah. <laughs> nice. What about you, Mike? What was your favorite gym leader from back in the day? My favorite was Lieutenant Sturge, and only because mm. I had the Lieutenant Sturge pack uh, that I got. I guess, like, a little box of Lieutenant Sturge stuff basically so all his cards so i have a bunch of lieutenant surge's pikachu lieutenant surge's raichu all these cards from back in the day and i feel like those cards are actually worth nothing uh any of those ones that they (laughs) it says the gym leader like gym leader apostrophe like pokemon uh apparently from the show dan told me one time he's like yeah that's not worth that much i'm like oh man that's too bad but um i have a lot of those because my mom would buy me those ones i guess she thought that was like the pack to get and uh (laughs) <laughs> I, I love Lieutenant Surge because of that, because he looked pretty cool. And uh, that's what I, I remember going to, he's Vermilion City, right? Uh, as uh, Lieutenant Surge. Yep. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, I remember that very well. And uh, and I'm like, wait a minute, this doesn't look like, <laughs> this doesn't look like the, the anime. This doesn't look like the cards. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. What a letdown. That was a huge episode. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. it was. Yeah. Oh, my God. But I there mean, was some, there was some weight behind that episode. There's there's some weight behind a lot of those uh, early Pokemon episodes, like Bye Bye Butterfree. Mm-hmm. That oh, hits man. you hard. That hits you oh, hard. Geez. Yeah. Even the like the Charmander episode too. 
Yeah, the show is so good. The original, like, what is it? Three? I think it's the first three seasons is the original Ash getting to Viridian City Gym. I think it's maybe three Feeling seasons. Mostly. It's pretty <laughs> much, yeah, it's pretty much 75 episodes that basically shaped our entire childhoods. But yeah. What's, yeah. what's incredibly frustrating is, you know, you spend all this time as a kid leveling up your Pokemon because there's no EXP share yet. So you have to level up each Pokemon one at a time. You need to figure out a strategy and which types are strong against other types and whatnot. You need to learn which moves to to just to basically eliminate or keep there's all of these strategies to it i was more of just a blitz it and go through the game as quickly as possible meanwhile ash is going through the cartoon and he never actually beats a single boss he just basically shows courage <laughs> and intelligence and then that's enough for them i guess usually team rocket gets in the way it helps them from keep the place burning down there's yeah he saves the gym from like de- some kind of destruction i don't know i guess there's no building insurance in the pokemon universe he's like yeah saves it from exploding for some reason because team rocket's trying to steal a pikachu is what always ends up happening <laughs> but i remember specifically in playing the games as a kid brock being insanely difficult for whatever reason, the first gym was always the hardest for me, just trying to, because all your Pokemon are like level six, and like he's got Onix mm-hmm. and Geodude and all these guys who just use Rock Throw and everything on you, and they just completely body slam you into oblivion because you got this Caterpie against an Onix and it's not going well. <laughs> and then you get to Misty, and I was always like, I would breeze right past her because my Pokemon were so overpowered because I'd mm-hmm. be stuck in the cave for literally weeks. Yeah. So like my, po- my Pokemon would come out not listening to me because I was they were too overpowered. <laughs> Uh, and I only had one gym badge, which was hilarious. Anyway, I was always a fan of the Erica gym for whatever reason. I like the grass type, Erica and Sabrina. I like the uh, the female gyms, uh, even in the show too. They're always fun. Sabrina's really cool because she's kind of like the anime goth gym uh, leader, and I thought that was mm-hmm. that was pretty cool from back yeah. in the day. Um, they were both in awesome. the weird transport room or teleporter pad room. Yeah, that's what I love too in the game is that all the gyms had like a puzzle element to them. You had to find your way to to get to the mm-hmm. front or the, the head gym leader and you'd have to fight some of their goons or whatever. They're like training mm-hmm. gym leaders. I don't were they like applying for the job of being the lead gym leader? What were they doing in those yeah. gyms? They're probably just <laughs> lower ranked gym leaders. Okay. They're just coaches. I don't know. Just um, coaches. There's usually a they're, way they're, to, like, they're 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 the HR department of the gym. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's usually a way to like encounter less of them if you know yep. like if you get the puzzle if you get the pattern or whatever um yeah the, because this is also kind of a, a puzzle game um at times even like metroidvania almost like there's areas of the map that when you go through certain villages you see a mm-hmm. tree in your way or there's a river or like, not a river i guess but like a body of water um and you figure all right i'll come maybe i'll be able to get through there later maybe not and then you learn cut and you learn surf and you learn fly and everything else in the game and it starts to unlock different areas and now you can traverse so much faster so mm-hmm. um yeah you start off being completely underpowered that's the rpg element of it and by the end of the game you've got a billion yen you've got a bike you've got a pidgeotto and you've got a charizard <laughs> and you've got a parasect or whatever to cut down every tree you got some dumb thing to learn flash just one time and then get rid of it i hated that <laughs> yeah <laughs> that was probably one of my least favorite things in the game was the the caves i would have to say i always got frustrated even as an adult like i I hated the caves because you couldn't see. You had to know Flash. And then, you know, you'd have a Zubat every five steps. And then, you know, you'd have to fight all of these random trainers. The repel. That, yeah, you'd have to use repel. And you'd have to fight these random trainers that want to show you their, their overpowered Ekans or whatever. And you beat them in one hit. <laughs> Or they're three slightly overpowered Ekans's. Yeah, exactly. They have, yeah. Yeah, three of the same Pokemon. It's like, great, great choice there, kid. I love um, the snake. That was, 
that was always something for me that that kind of irritated me back in the day. Was there anything about these games, Luigi, that uh, that you didn't like? I didn't like the that the, like there was never a really super stupid hard place at the end of the game that like if I wanted to keep leveling up, um, you know, if I didn't want to get the rare candies. Uh, if I wanted to keep leveling something up, I would, you know, have to go to just the the place where Mew Two was, or God forbid, go to Victory Road um, for a little while, or something like that. You know, it just like eventually, you know, you just did the the item duplication glitch and and just fed them all candy to get them all to level hundred. But, right. um, yeah, just like that, just eventually once you get to a certain point, like there's nothing left to do. There's nothing left to, there's nothing left to kill. Um, there's no more <laughs> trainers out there. There's, there's like, you've, for some reason beating everyone and beating everything isn't like, it's not satisfying. Like in another game, I, I need more, I need more things to, to train. I want to, you know, yes, I've had a, a, a Doug trio, but have I had a super duper freaking powered Doug trio? N- no. Well, I want to see that. Well, that's going to take like a week's worth of afternoons. Yeah, the I guess it's not the post game, but I guess the the difficulty spike in Pokemon is like once you get over that hump, the games just feel way too easy. And we've talked a little bit about mm-hmm. this already today, but the formula of Pokemon has been basically rinse washed and repeated for 25 years yeah. and it always feels like that the the way that they get you to play more is just to put out a new game rather than what I would probably like would be to make just a more difficult campaign. And the long, the long form of the game is basically to play against friends. That's what they want you to do. They want that mm-hmm. social aspect for you to link up and uh, trade and play in tournaments and play your friends, play your family. And that's the, uh, that's the whole point. It's not so much to be challenged in the campaign, which is too bad. But what about you, Mike? Is there anything about Pokemon red and blue that, uh, that you didn't necessarily love back in the day? See, the thing is, is that, like, it's really hard to look at this game from present day onwards, because if you're looking at it from uh, this this 2023 light, we've had so many Pokemon games since. We've had so many improvements to the formula. We've had, like, just honestly, and arguably, what was it, Hearts, Gold, and Soul Silver. Those games are really tight and probably the best that Pokemon ever got. Uh, and then now we have Scarlet and Arceus and everything where we have that more open world style. So, like... It's come so far, so it's it's so difficult to go back to red and blue and be like, oh yeah, well like you know these are there's so uh, it's not very balanced. Uh, like psychic is so powerful in this. Uh, there's there's not great ways for me to kind of go about this to the caves. There's there's a bunch of stuff that's wrong in quotes. But for mm-hmm. me personally, this is a perfect game for 1998 or whatever. Yeah, I think yeah 98. Yep. We were saying mm-hmm. it's a perfect miracle. game for 1998. It's it's a miracle this thing exists. Like, <laughs> I, and I was watching a lot of videos this week, getting ready for it. You know, feeling nostalgic, of course. But what I honestly couldn't stand is when people were breaking down like exactly how to play this game and like why it's broken and like the best routes to take and what Pokemon that you have to use in certain areas mm-hmm. and what starter is the best and, and like all like looking at it in like such an objective way. And I was like, no, like this isn't. This isn't how Red and Blue were supposed to be played. Like mm-hmm. they were supposed to be played without the internet, without knowledge of a lot of stuff. It was supposed to be going in blind uh, into this and, and playing this just fun exploration game that's basically rock paper scissors mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> at its core. 
and and just having fun with friends and, and creating a social experience and that's what's always been at the core of Pokemon the franchise and what that's one of the things I loved about Pokemon Go when it first came out because it brought back that social experience of it and that simplicity that made Pokemon Red and Blue so iconic for me and and millions and millions of other kids. Uh, so I, I, for me, honestly, I would not change a thing of Red and Blue just because <laughs> I, I love it for how it is. And I'm glad new things came out. You know, I'm glad that we got sequels that did improve the formula and stuff. But I think for the time and, and how it came out as its first entry, I think it's it's perfect. Yeah. Well, I'd like I also the only other one I've played really is uh, Leaf Green and Fire Red. Of course, <laughs> I ended up in a situation like in my 20s where. There were other people who had Game Boy Advance and had a copy of either of those because they were the the red and blue remakes. And this was like mm-hmm. in it's like eight years after the game came out. Um, so like we're into like 360 era and um, yeah, like all of a sudden we're like, you hey, do you guys just want to start playing Pokemon again? And yeah, so we were trading and fighting and I got an, I got the, the 150 decks this time. I didn't get a Mew, but I ended up getting 150 again. Um, and so nice. like, yeah, it was just kind of like, hey, why don't we just do that? <laughs> like everyone was like, all right, cool. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I had a similar similar situation too in high school where uh, Mike and I were in grade 12, 2011. And for whatever reason, I got really into playing Pokemon red, blue, and yellow again. And there's a picture of me in the year, in our grade 12 year, cause I, I'd like given up in school at that point. I was so tired of it, but uh, there's a picture of me in the yearbook and I'm holding my game boy advance with Pokemon yellow in it. And that's basically how I spent the majority <laughs> of that school year was playing Pokemon in classes. Uh, I would still do all my work, but I was just wasn't paying attention anymore. And mm-hmm. I definitely had like a, I revisited it in a big way. I was really just having a great time playing those, those games that year. And I was playing yeah. it just the same way that Mike explained it just now is that you're not supposed to, or I, I don't feel like the whole point of Pokemon is to play the game the objectively most strategic way to do it, to pick the best main, to do the best path, mm-hmm. to, to pair up the best Pokemon, to level up the right way and to... Uh, now there's like Pokemon breeding and you can like get specific experience with certain Pokemon. I never, ever got anywhere close to being that technical with Pokemon. I always just picked the Pokemon that I thought looked the coolest. Um, the ones that I wanted to evolve up the to be the strongest. I wanted to have Charizard and Lapras and Pidgeot and Zapdos and like just pairings that don't make any sense. Muck was always a big one for whatever reason. Um, pairings that just didn't make any sense. Can it learn Psychic? <laughs> exactly. Trying to, yep. Why can't my Charizard learn Fly or whatever it was, that random one that Charizard couldn't Ugh. learn, even though he had wings. But that's how I played it as a kid, and that's how I played it again in in 2011 in in high school. And I love it for that. You can play it as technically and as strategically as you want, or you can play it as just freely and fun as you want like I do. And I do have to give a a big shout out to the game's developer, who we haven't mentioned yet, but uh, Satoshi Tajiri, who pitched the concept to Nintendo in 1990 and was originally met with skepticism and uh, could not get the project off the ground until 1991. Mm -hmm. And uh, the project was originally called Pocket Monsters, and it was based on his his childhood hobby of collecting bugs in in the mountains and everything. And and, yeah. and people would people would collect bugs. That's what kids did in his neighborhood uh, where he grew up. And over the years, the uh, the area developed, and less bugs were around and everything. And he wanted to recapture that love of exploring 
and uh, and catching new species of creatures around the area. And that's where he got his idea for Pokemon. And they originally came up with 200 concepts of original Pokemon. They, of course, landed on the original 150, later on 151, thanks to Mew and the Mewtwo split, um, breaking that up into 151. And also have to give a quick shout out to the composer of the original Pokemon game, Junichi Masuda, who made an absolute banger of a soundtrack. I was listening to it today at work. It's about an hour long, the Pokemon Red, Blue, and Yellow soundtrack. Only one hour. There are, I believe, around 45 tracks, I think I counted. And if you were to play any of these songs uh, from these uh, from these games, I could probably tell you exactly where they are, uh, what you can do, like if it's, the, uh, <laughs> if it's a gym or if it's a path or if it's a surf or if you're in a store like the, uh, the Healing Center. I know it all. And it's such an iconic oh, yeah. soundtrack from the 90s. I know Mike is a huge, uh, huge fan of uh, video game soundtracks, as am I. Does this uh, does this Pokemon soundtrack rank pretty highly for you, Luigi, in terms of video game soundtracks? Oh, yeah. Like in terms of games that game soundtracks that are burned into my brain, like I played this game for like two or three hundred hours. Like I heard all these songs over and over again. Like even I think it was my my oldest friend and I were riding our bikes around like in our 20s singing the bike (laughs) riding song while we like rode downtown. Like Yeah, it's just all up there. It's great. I love it all. How about you, Mike? When you hear these songs, does it trigger something for you? There, there's so many amazing little tracks in there and the sounds the sounds is what yeah when i was listening and watching a lot of these gameplays again uh I, like just hearing the little sounds that the pokemon would make uh just i knew every single one of them and and to the untrained ear you probably simply think that they all sound the same they're all just like this compressed mess of, of little sounds that are coming through but i knew what every single pokemon was when that was coming up and and that was so cool to kind of hear those again had crazy goosebumps hearing some of those um that music and those sounds and all i could think of was like my god my parents must have hated me because i definitely had my game boy on on full blast every time i was playing pokemon they're probably like oh he's 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 healing now he's 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 talking to nurse joy right now my son is healing that's awesome. Yeah, you were not. We were not using those headphone jacks yet at the the age of six. I don't think I owned headphones until I was like ten. So God help my parents. Um, but I remember. <laughs> I remember Pokemon was the first time I ever experienced what we now know as like an an earworm, and that's like when you hear something so often that when you stop hearing it, you still think you can hear it because uh, yeah. it's basically tattooed on your brain. And my friends and I, it was a day after school, we were all hanging out in one of my friend's basements. And we, we shut off our Game Boys because I guess we were going to do the unthinkable and go outside and play. And we were like, someone left their Game Boy on. <laughs> and like we were all like, yeah, someone left their Game Boy on. And like we all checked our Game Boys and they were all off. And I was like, can you guys hear the music? And they're like, yeah. And like, <laughs> oh, wow. it was so weird. We all had the same experience of an earworm at the same time. It was so weird. We were all hearing different songs because I was like, yeah, it's the Lavender Town. Or someone else was like, no, it's the it's the trail sound. And I'm like, oh. This is so, it was so weird and and like now I know exactly what that was but man they they had their hooks in us everywhere and the ears eyes everything it's gonna oh, sounds kind of weird um, but they had they had us hooked man with the music especially character design the graphics the cartoon the cards it was just clearly made a big impression on us when we were kids it appeals to all ages you just have to like know what's happening um, like mm-hmm. my mom is uh, now is a level 40 in Pokemon Go and has been for two or three years. Wow. Yes. Um, they like, she really took to it and it, it was funny 
getting texts from my like my mom and my stepdad being like, uh, yeah, what beats fire again? Like just sending them the type chart for like the 50th time being like, you guys are gonna have to learn this. Like here, like I showed them the cartoon to be like, watch this. You'll, it'll teach you things. It's how I learned. (laughs) So just here, let's do this. Where's Ash's dad? What's the relationship between his mom and this mime? I don't understand. (laughs) Don't worry about it. Just don't even think about it. It's not weird at all. (laughs) It's not weird at all. It's all good. It's all good. (laughs) But uh, Luigi, we've had a great time talking with you about uh, Pokemon Red and Blue today. We could talk for hours and hours and hours, but uh, we are going to have to let you go. Before we do, is there anything else you'd like to say about Red, Blue, and Pokemon in general? I one day walked off of Blaine's Island and got into a fight with a weird mess of pixels and did not understand what was happening. Of course, I wanted to catch it. Uh, but I ended up killing it. And I was like, that's weird. And uh, for a while after that, like I had like a weird symbol uh, next to like the number six of moonstones. And was like, that's also really weird. Don't know what that is. I also don't need moonstones, really. So it'll just stay there. And maybe a month later, someone was like, hey, I'm going to teach you about how to do the item dupe and you go to this spot and you kill this thing and whatever is the sixth item in your list of items gets like 120 more things and it glitches out the number. And I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. I totally get it because I have that already, but it's a worthless item. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and he's like, yeah, put rare candies there and you're good to go. And like, it was the biggest secret. Like we were, I was not to tell a soul. And I told someone like the next day, um, <laughs> like, you can't tell anyone, man, this is like, this is on the hush hush. Uh, so yeah, that was how I like item dupes were introduced. And like, it just, I love red and blue the most because it's broken like that, but it's also like, there's just something special and in in a special kind of jank way but also like just kind of weird not perfect but almost perfect way uh, about red and blue i just i love those games to death nothing but good times uh with with pokemon it was it was always always fun that the time that my friend thought metronome was the coolest thing in the world and like a <laughs> battle was decided by metronome when like his Mew used metronome and it self-destructed and I hung on by like a pixel. And like, that was the, that was the decider. And I was like, that you got to watch out. Metronome will get you. Mew blows up in the room. Oh, so good. I love that game. I love that game. And I, I love the memories that it brings and, and having you on to talk about some of your super unique ones. Like that one is just amazing. I love hearing that. And uh, I hope everyone else does too. And uh, uh, I want to also let everyone know where they can find you and what you are up to uh, for your own uh, podcasts. Oh, boy. Uh, Right now, everything's going a mile a minute because uh, over on Chat of the Wild, my Legend of Zelda book club podcast, we're slowly working through Tears of the Kingdom. 
Uh, we're going like region by region, just really getting in there. Uh, and then another episode on top of that. <laughs> See you in 2025. Ooh, boy. Uh, tell me about it. And, <laughs> and, you know, an extra episode for the dungeon. We just finished uh, in the recording. We just finished doing Zora's Domain. Uh, we did Rito and Gerudo before that. Uh, but I'm already up to like 220 hours. And wow. I don't even have I have there are places on the map I haven't even been to yet. Uh, we're really, really digging into this game and I really, 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 really love it. Um, so come listen to chat mm-hmm. of the wild. Uh, also check out need for speed running a show I make with my friend Brad and a couple people from, uh, games done quick, Ruby Hart and J Hobbs. We just put out an episode because Ruby and her friends, uh, set a world record for the overcooked Two like all hangry horde mode levels. Uh, which oh, was nice. It was they did it live at SGDQ. It was awesome. Uh, it's a super fun run to watch, and we we did an episode kind of breaking down what goes into that, and uh, it's really great. So check out Need for Speed Running. Also, always listen to Remember sixty four. David's the best. Uh, give him some love, and they all have Patreons. Give them love, and I love this show as a Patreon. Give it love, <laughs> and I love you guys. Oh, we love you too. Love you too. Love having you on. Yeah, absolutely. I love being here. Yeah, take care, Luigi. Thank you so much again for coming on. We love talking to you. Obviously, we'll have you back for more Pokemon talk. This will not be our last Pokemon episode. So you have a good rest of your evening, and uh, we'll see you again real soon. All right. Take it easy, guys. What a nice young man. What a nice young man. Thank you, Luigi, for coming on today at Luigi's Apartment. Uh, has some great podcasts over there and just a great friend to have on the show. We love having him on. Uh, so knowledgeable, has such good memories. Um, and yeah, like it's uh, talking about Pokemon just brings out so many, so many good feelings, so many joyous feelings about, uh, about playing it back in the day and just how, uh, how different Pokemon was and are well, really how different Pokemon made gaming at the time. And I think that's the one thing to take away from this episode is just like really that before and after Pokemon is, is, is real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the nostalgia around Pokemon is very real for, I'm so glad that we grew up when we did. I'm sure that everybody says that about their childhood, <laughs> but I think the one thing for us that we can definitely point to as being a highlight was, is Pokemon. Um, oh, yeah. even to this day, like Popping in Pokemon Red and Blue this week has been just a, a, a ton of fun to go back to, uh, remembering all the different areas. And I, I can I can envision every single Pokemon sprite in my mind, even though they are, yep. they haven't aged particularly well, you know, the, the look of the Pokemon from the back. But just seeing them, you know, the battle system and leveling up and the the, the dialogue back and forth between characters is, is fun. Uh, it's just an innocent time of gaming. And uh, Pokemon's become a very different franchise since then, uh, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes. But before we hit our closing thoughts, Mike, I think that we should hit the back of the case of Pokemon Red and Blue. What do you think? Ooh, which case, Neil? Red or blue? Or both? Well, I own both of them, <laughs> believe it or not, Mike. I still have the cases for Red and Blue from back in the day. I managed to not throw them away somehow. Uh, they look identical. So I think I'll read the back of Pokemon <laughs> Blue. But first, Victor... Hit us with that sweet jingle. It's time to read what's on the back of the case. There's things written on the back of the case. Let's read them. And now we're reading the back of the case. You've finally been granted your Pokemon trainer's license. You got a license? 
Now, it's time to head out to become the world's greatest Pokemon trainer. It's going to take you all you've got to collect 150 Pokemon in this enormous world. Catch and train monsters like the shockingly cute Pikachu. Face off against Blastoise's torrential water cannons. Stand strong when facing Pidgeot's stormy gust. Trade with friends and watch your Pokemon evolve. Important, no single Pokemon can win it all. Can you develop your ultimate Pokemon strategy to defeat the eight gym leaders and become the greatest Pokemon master of all time? Collect up to 139 different Pokemon playing the blue version using the Game Link cable sold separately. Trade with a friend who has the red version to capture all 150. You'll need to use both versions, red and blue, to collect all of the Pokemon. Test your training skills by battling against a friend using the Game Link cable sold separately. Save your Pokemon collection and game progress on the Game Pack memory. Requires basic reading skills to fully enjoy the entertaining story. I love that. I love that they had that there. Like, basically, you need to know how to read to play this, ideally. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you kind of do. It's funny. That's actually that's actually really funny to think about. Yeah, but um, hmm. uh, they are really pushing that, uh, uh, pushing that link cable on the back of the case there. Yep. Yeah, they definitely wanted... I mean, Nintendo has always wanted people to uh, to get together to play games. That's clearly always been a goal mm-hmm. of theirs. They've always... They've always tried to make multiplayer games. They've made uh, portable games. Uh, they made the GameCube, which of course had the handle on it, so you could take it places. Uh, they made the Wii, which is the ultimate multiplayer machine. So obviously, this is one of those first uh, first examples of that, where they really wanted you to buy that link cable. Kind of weird that they did, never did like a pack-in, at least not where we live. Maybe they did in, in other countries. That would have made a lot of sense to have sold like a mm-hmm. like a sibling pack where you get red, blue, and a link cable together. I think that would have been a, a good idea. Um, but, uh, but they never did. So anyway, both, both games look, uh, pretty similar. I think they even, yeah, they even referenced the same Pikachu, Pidgeot and Blastoise on the back. So no differences at all there, but I love the box art of these games, the kind of painted watercolor look. I feel like that they haven't gotten anything close to that in the last 25 years. No, the box arts are beautiful. I love the box arts for, Red and blue. I also do like the ones for uh, gold, silver, and crystal, and nice. even the ones for the original green and reds uh, for uh, Japan with the mm-hmm. kind of the circle going around it uh, with the words on it. It's uh, it's so cool. I love yeah the painted style of it. They should they should just keep that forever. But um, yeah, it's uh, red and blue classic games. We could talk about these games forever, Neil, uh, and I'm sure we will do an even more in-depth episode in their development. We did touch on a little bit of that, luckily, in their history, and we had Luigi on to to, to drop some knowledge as well there, uh, but there is just so, so much to, to talk about for Pokemon and Pokemon Red and Blue, so we're not gonna, we're not gonna have a four-hour episode this time, Neil, but uh, maybe next time. Maybe next time. I would love to, I'm sure we'll do a revisited episode like we do with the GameCube games. I would love mm-hmm. to do another red and blue because I'm sure we haven't done yellow. So we could obviously go back exactly. and do yellow. So that's probably, it's a date. We'll have to, we'll have to do that. But Mike, when we review video games, we usually go back and do a review that review where we find a negative review from back in the day and uh, tear it apart. I honestly couldn't find a negative review of Red and Blue. It seems like it's mostly universally praised. I'm sure that there are people who don't like these games for various reasons, but uh, struggle to find anything uh, of any substance. So we'll skip that segment altogether. So we'll just jump right to the future of Pokemon. Obviously, we recommend Red and Blue. If you haven't played these games already, go find a copy, uh, pirate it if you must, because it's unavailable anywhere. Uh, where do you see the future of Pokemon going forward? Uh, what will bring you back to the mainline Pokemon hype? Obviously, we're not huge fans of the newest games, but uh, where do you see the franchise going forward and what would bring you back? 
Well, I mean, I do have Scarlet. I haven't played it yet, and and I do want to play it with some friends because I know it's a very good multiplayer experience. And I think Scarlet and Violet really, other than all the bugs and everything that that accompanied it, I think that really nailed it on the head of what Pokemon should be. And I I hope that we get more stuff like that. That is very much a co-op experience as well as a, uh, a social experience uh, with friends and and the ability to just have every Pokemon in the game. I know that was uh, something that a lot of people were angry with with Arceus, uh, that you couldn't actually have all 900 Pokemon or whatever there was at the time. Um, and we have gotten remakes as well for Pokemon Red and Blue. We got Let's Go Pikachu and, and Let's Go Eevee, which I believe were actually kind of based off the, the Pokemon Yellow uh, mm-hmm. obviously completely redone graphics and everything to make it look like the kind of current 2018 uh, version of Pokemon at the time. So we, we do have those games. I, I played it a little bit. It, for me, it was they were cool, but they didn't really capture the full nostalgia that I had uh, for those games. I don't know about you, Neil, but, but mm-hmm. they didn't really do Red and Blue justice in my eyes. It, it would be nice to see like a, a revamped, 2d version again of Mm. red and blue yeah you you nailed it there i'm gonna sound a bit like a youtube comment section here with uh, (laughs) with my with my gripes with the current pokemon franchise um my my first thing is for some reason i feel like that the pokemon games the the characters the story it just feels too cute like too safe too bubbly too almost like Mm -hmm. that illumination animation style that i don't like like everything just feels like it's too fake and bubbly i would like it to be a little bit more gritty it doesn't have to be you know a t-rated last of us style pokemon game i just need it to be a little bit less colorful less bright i need some sharper edges and some darker tones to it everything just feels a bit too goofy all the characters are just a little bit too happy for me to want to play it's just just, there's just something about it that just turns me off every time i start a new pokemon game these days i did really like x and y I did play those games uh, back on the 3DS, but since then, none of them have really uh, spoken to me. Uh, I can get into the technical aspects of the game, but I won't talk about too much about that here. But they definitely need to revamp their engine. I don't know what Game Freak is working on right now, but they need to they need to fix everything about the look of these games because it just bothers me. If the games look this rough, it's tough to play them for 40 to 50 hours and get overly invested in them. And mm-hmm. the original Pokemon games, Red and Blue, as basic as they are, they're 8-bit. Uh, for the most part, static sprites of Pokemon. Um, it works. I love the look of 2D Pokemon games. Um, I would love for them to go back to it. I like what you said about uh, going back to the 2D roots. What I would like, it doesn't even have to be a remake of Red and Blue, even just a new Pokemon game with all new Pokemon designs, new story, new characters, everything. But I would love it in the design of the Octopath Traveler art style. That would be so cool they need to they don't need to necessarily go back to the 8-bit 16-bit look of the game boy advance or the game boy but they do need to i would like them to go back to the 2d ever since pokemon went 3d i feel like it lost something for me for some reason and we've seen other franchises like mario and metroid and zelda go back to that top-down 2d style from the nes days but with updated visuals and obviously quality of life improvements so i would like to see pokemon go back to something like that um and then Obviously, their spinoffs are always usually pretty great, so they can keep going along with that. We got Pokemon Snap a few years ago. I would love another Pokemon Stadium. But when it comes to, when it comes to the mainline games, I would like them to go back to the basics, put out a game that maybe has 100, 150 Pokemon in it, and make it 2D. And that would probably bring me back into it. 100%. I love the idea of the Octopath Traveler kind of art style because I think that art style is a great 
uh, midsection between, uh, or cross section, I should say, between you know old school gaming uh, and the new kind of 3D sprites and everything. I think it's would be so perfect for Pokemon Red. Neil, I'm gonna try and get you a job at Game Freak, and <laughs> you can propose that, and then we can have that on the fast track. I think okay. that's 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 the real action plan here. Okay, I'd probably have to learn Japanese because I'm pretty sure okay. everybody at that company speaks Japanese. But Mike, while I'm here sitting in my room learning Japanese on whatever language <laughs> app I can download, I don't know any of them. Uh, why don't you let the listeners know what they can expect next week on episode 23 of the Unlocking What Was Cool podcast? On episode 23, we're not using the Duolingo app for Neil to use uh, oh, to learn wild. Japan, but uh, <laughs> Japanese. But uh, we are uh, going to be talking about the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. Neil, a landmark movie in our lives for sure, uh, coming out uh, 19 years ago. Uh, David David Hasselhoff, I mean, how can you forget (laughs) uh, one of the great performances of this age? Yeah, just just a fantastic movie. I I love that movie so much, and I obviously know you do too, Neil. We talked about the SpongeBob SquarePants movie game on the GameCube is Cool podcast, but we didn't talk about the movie itself, so it'll be cool to go back, rewatch that, and it feels like the, the correct time to do it it's a summer movie it's a summer movie it's a total summer movie it's the summer movie of the 2000s in my opinion Mm -hmm. spongebob was absolutely on top of the world with pokemon feels like spongebob and pokemon were those two things of the 2000s and the theatrical release of the spongebob movie was a great time to be alive again i loved it never saw it in theaters but we'll get into that more next week i feel like we missed an opportunity there to just cover what's my age again on episode 23 but (laughs) that's that's for a whole other podcast we'll have to talk about blink 182 (laughs) another day but until then Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to episode 22 of the Unlocking What Was Cool podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. Leave us a rating and a review so we can make the show better. You can support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash unlocking what was cool. Supporters at the $5 level get to participate in our monthly Patreon elected episode, topic, and be featured in our post-show credits. Thank you so much to everybody over on Patreon. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook and join the weekly conversation on our Discord channel. Share us with your friends and family tell professor oak keep your metapod hardened <laughs> thank you so much for the support and we will see you next week see you later bye-bye the unlocking what was cool podcast is a recorded and produced show from toronto canada our podcast is fan funded by our listeners on patreon at patreon.com forward slash unlocking what was cool the show is produced hosted and edited by mike lane and neil gilbert additional voices provided by victor young Special thank you to our Patreon supporters at the $5 level. AJ Olson 11, Bogus Lotus, Cube Dude, Dean Donian, Joey Sirico, Marty Thompson, Sparks Fly 027, and Way Overrated. <laughs> <sighs> Professor Oak was a, was a weird dude. Eh? He's a weird dude. He's like giving kids not even giving them money he's actually like exploiting child labor really he's, is what's happening he's basically he, professor oak he'll put himself in a town with with a single mom and then separate the mom from the son for months on end yeah this feels predatory what are his motives mm, yeah it, it, questionable at best yeah his his defense does not hold up in court and he's a nephew you know, who knows yeah, yeah. <laughs>